Welcome to It's Not What's Wrong With You, Sanctuary News Talk. Hello, and welcome to another episode of It's Not What's Wrong With You, our Sanctuary podcast. Um, So last week, or last month, I guess, um, you heard us kind of introduce the Sanctuary model, why we're doing it here, and why we think it's important. Mm -hmm. Um, And in this episode, you will find out a little bit more about um, the four pillars of Sanctuary, which are the four main ideas that kind of drive the whole model. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we um, have talked with some of our staff and asked them to help us explain each pillar to you guys. So here's a little bit from our staff. I'm Christiana and I'm from the equine therapy program. One of the pillars is trauma theory. This is important to create a shared knowledge about the prevalence and effects of trauma on clients and staff. Trauma theory drives our services and culture as an agency. So you just heard from Christiana explaining a little bit about trauma theory, Um, and last week you learned a little bit about why we named our podcast It's Not What's Wrong With You, Um, but that's really one of the the main ideas that we're looking at um, the prevalence of trauma and that we're really analyzing what's happened to someone versus what's wrong with them. Yeah, and also uh, just the fact that trauma has happened to everybody, so that is really why it's important that we create an agency with this trauma-informed culture, making sure that all of our interactions with each other and with our clients, that we're not just focusing on the client's trauma, but really taking into consideration what staff may have encountered or may be encountering like vicarious trauma mm-hmm. um, and burnout and all that kind of stuff by, by working in the field we do. Definitely. Yeah. So next up is um, Michelle McCandless talking about the seven commitments. Hi, I'm Michelle. Um, I am in the development department here at Hope Community Services. I am here to talk about one of the pillars, the seven commitments. Um, When we talk about that, that is basically the values we use here as an agency um, that coincides with the sanctuary model. Um, One of the first one of the seven commitments is nonviolence. We're talking about building a safe environment where people feel safe physically, emotionally, Um, all the way around. Emotional intelligence, um, we want to be able to manage our feelings. Social learning, respecting our ideas. Democracy, we have shared decision making. Open communication, we want to say what we mean and not be mean when we are saying it. Social responsibility, um, which is basically teamwork. Growth and change, we want to work for a hopeful future. So that was Michelle giving us some information about our seven commitments. And as you noticed in our last podcast, and we will have it coming up here, we have Sanctuary in the Seven Commitments, where Courtney is using those seven commitments and her guests to explore pop culture and really help staff and clients recognize those seven commitments in day-to-day life um, because they are pretty basic values that we use anyway. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that is, that is why we have that segment of our podcast. All right, and next we have Melissa Looney. She's going to talk about self. Um, I'm Melissa Looney, and I am from the Family um, Reunification Department, um, and I am talking about the self model. Um, Self is used as a framework um, during supervisions, um, team meetings, and client appointments. Um, It's used to um, discuss case concerns, issues, safety concerns, um, or policy concerns. 
um, and any general problem solving. Okay, so you just heard about self, um, and if you remember back to our last episode, um, we kind of did a demonstration about how we can use self, whether it's just in our everyday lives with issues that we might be facing, or whether it's something work-related. We can really use self as a framework to help us kind of put the issue into perspective and generate solutions. And we will have that segment continuing in our podcast uh, to really, again, reiterate that, that concept and help everybody understand how to use that. So, and then our last pillar, our fourth pillar, we have Eric to help us out on the toolkit. Hi, this is Eric from Fostering Adopt Team. Um, one of the sanctuary pillars is toolkits. Um, it gives us concrete tools that include community meetings, red flag meetings, team meetings, treatment planning, and safety plans. All right, so Eric explained some of the different tools we might find in the Sanctuary Toolkit, uh, but there's one in particular that we would like to highlight here today, and that is the community meeting. Um, so Hopefully everyone's been yes. trained already. <laughs> Everyone should be familiar with community meetings. It's the way that we start pretty much every meeting, whether it's a team meeting mm-hmm. or just a one-on-one supervision, whether it's when we're meeting with our clients. We really want to start every gathering, no matter how big or how small, with a community meeting. So in case you need a reminder, because we've been trained, um, the three questions of a community, there are three questions of a community meeting. That is what it is. Um, this is not a therapy session. This is a quick check-in on feelings and your goal. So the first question is, how are you feeling today? Um, the second question is, what is your goal for either today or for our meeting? And who can you ask for support? And so it really is the, the wording of these questions. It really is important that we get them correct. Um, Do you want to talk about the how are you feeling today and why we do that? Sure. Um, So the first question that we ask, like Melissa said, is how are you feeling today? And we really want to use specific words, so not just saying things like I'm fine or I'm good, um, because that's really everyone's go-to feeling. And it really doesn't give us any insight into how you are actually feeling. Um, It also helps us identify our feeling, how are we feeling that day, um, and it kind of gives everyone else an insight as well into how we're feeling. And then, of course, just a little bit back to the trauma theory. Um, We know that traumatized people, we learn from trauma theory that traumatized people also often have difficulty identifying feelings. Alexithymia. Oh, yeah. Everyone's favorite word, right? (laughs) So um, we want to make sure that we are modeling that for clients and helping them be able to identify their feelings. Mm -hmm. So um, our next question, what is your goal for today? Again, part of trauma theory helping people look into the future and identify goals and even a small goal, a small win. Mm-hmm. And it also kind of brings attention to what we're doing. Like let's, let's get everybody. Um, yeah, mm-hmm, absolutely. And it is important um, that we pick a goal and not something like just get through it. Mm-hmm. That's very deflating to the group and, or to whoever you're meeting with. Like you don't really want to be here. I'm just here cause I have to. So we want to make sure that even if it's just my goal is to participate today, Mm -hmm. something small if it needs to be. All right. And then the last question is, who can you ask for support? Um, And so it's important that we can identify someone either in the room, preferably, or just in our life in general, that we can ask for support that day. Um, Someone we can kind of check in with. It doesn't even have to be associated with our goal or the task that we're particularly working Mm -hmm. on. But even if you need moral support from someone, just someone you can go to and ask for support if 
you feel like you need it. And again, the the importance of wording the question that who can you ask don't assume that somebody's just going to help you mm-hmm. so when when you say who can help you with that it's really now you're going to assume that somebody out there is going to know that you need help right so we want to make sure that we're we're asking people to identify somebody that's good that they are going to mm-hmm. ask for help so and again back to trauma theory <laughs> the reason why we do everything um it people who have been traumatized often have difficulty seeking out support Mm -hmm. and so again we want to model that for them if that's where they're at and be that person Mm -hmm. and a couple little tidbits with that as well if you are asked to um, be that support for somebody and you don't have the mental capability of doing it capacity for the day decline say no ask if they can identify somebody else don't feel like you have to if you're not there um, emotionally or, or mentally for the day So we will go ahead and practice today and we will start every podcast with a community meeting um, just to kind of demonstrate how it's done and to show that it is really just a quick check-in and then you guys can kind of get a feel for where we're at today. So Jessica, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling excited. Okay, what is your goal for our podcast? Uh, My goal for the podcast is just to continue to get this information out to staff and to clients um, and continue having fun while we do it. Great. And who can you ask for support? I will ask you for support. I will help you. Thank you. Uh, Melissa, how are you feeling today? I'm also feeling excited. Yeah. All right. And what is your goal for the podcast? My goal is to continue to come up with creative ways and interesting ways to get the information out there. And who can you ask for support? I'm going to ask you for support, Jessica. I will support you. Thank you. Well, um, that's all we have for you today. So next up, you will hear um, Sanctuary and the Seven Commitments. Hi-ho, hi-ho, the Seven Commitments are a go. Hi-ho, 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 (laughs) hi-ho. All right, so welcome back to Sanctuary and the Seven Commitments. Um, I'm Courtney, and today we are going to have a new guest. So, Hi, I'm Charles Grego. So Charles is here, and we have decided to do our Seven Commitments pop culture on the Harry Potter series. Um, and we're going to just be talking about how some of the commitments are demonstrated across the series and how it ties into everyday life with us as well. Great. So um, I think one of the ones we're going to start off with is the commitment to growth and change. Um, so what do you think about that, Charles? I think growth and change is an important, um, well, it's an important thing that we should all embrace. Um, you mentioned Harry Potter earlier and, um, you know, when I think about Harry Potter and I think about growth and change, I think about the little boy who, who lived in the cupboard under the stairs on Privet Drive and how he was so in his world and he didn't even realize that there was another world to grow and change into. He was so acclimated to his way of living, which wasn't even really his way of living, it was a way of living put upon him. And once he received the first letter, the second letter, the thousandth letter, that he was going to be going off to a new school, you could see the growth and changes lighting up in his eyes. Yeah. I actually really like that you brought that up. I didn't even think about it that way because that is a trauma in itself that he was treated so badly by his family and that he was like forced to live under a cupboard after losing his parents and he'd already been through a trauma. And to see him be able to grow from that and eventually save the world and basically save the whole wizarding world, I think it's really important that you bring that up. Um, and it is 
it is amazing to watch him grow, not only because it was the same character that played him throughout the seven movies, mm-hmm. but just to see all the stuff that he learned along the way about friendships. And, you know, family doesn't always have to be blood, and you right. make friends with who you want. And, you know, even when you have enemies, you don't have to necessarily hate them and treat them badly. Like, in the end, everybody right. kind of has that growth mindset, and <clears throat> we're able to change sure. and work together. In the, in the beginning, Voldemort in the movie was seen as the horrible, 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 then everybody's afraid of him. Mm -hmm. He, through growth and change, Harry, had to understand that this was part of his destiny. He had to learn and to grow through the lessons at school and through his friends and companions that what he initially saw as a bad thing was now a challenge in his life that he needed to work through. And he worked through it with the help of his community. Yeah, yes, oh my gosh, you're so good at this. (laughs) I And I definitely think, too, if we were to pinpoint, like, another area, I think that's really important for growth and change. I think looking at um, movie three specifically, The Prisoner of Azkaban, mm-hmm. he really hates Sirius Black, who's his godfather, and thinks that he killed his parents. And by listening to the story about how his parents died and what they did to change it and how it was actually Peter Pettigrew that had killed them. He has that growth and change mindset too, where he's able to like um, hope for a family and to be able to live with his godfather. And he's able to kind of look to the future and not have such like a negative mindset after Mm -hmm. that movie. Yeah. And I saw that going from the one point of view of my uncle is a dangerous bad person into actually he's a good guy watching that, it was almost like a mini trauma uh, put upon Harry because he had grown up understanding this is what this man was. And now that he had a new understanding, he really had to go through a lot of change within, a lot of personal growth. Um, and then once he did, his whole world seemed to change. Yeah, definitely. Nice. All right. Um, next, let's go ahead and talk about some social responsibility that we see in the movie. Um, so the social responsibility is having... Why did I just... I'm mixing this up with social learning. So it's that the traumatized people have experiences, either injustices and how they respond to those traumatic events. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you were saying in the beginning that he experienced the trauma of losing his parents and then he's just treated even worse as he's going on. Um, but instead he's learning from that and he's able to learn to care for other people. Right, right. His, his family that he lived with when he was under the cupboard was, they were never advocating for him. They were, they were dealing with him. They were struggling with him because of their own struggles that they were dealing with. And they weren't um, educated enough socially um, to handle Harry. Yeah. Uh, once he moved into uh, Hogwarts, he was around much more socially responsible people who understood that this wasn't just another child here to learn, but that he had a destiny. And yeah. they were there to, to help him with his destiny. Yeah. And I think it's important, too, that you talk about his aunt and uncle just kind of dealing with him because um, Petunia had her own trauma um, and anger of her not being picked to go to Hogwarts when her sister Lily did. Right. And so she held a lot of that resentment and was never able to create a healthy attachment or relationship because of the hate that she held in her heart for mm-hmm. her sister. And so Harry was never able to learn how to, like, be loved by someone. And he had to learn on his own how to, like, love other people and make friendships and, you know, to, to take on the responsibility that was kind of bestowed upon him when he was brought into that prophecy almost like an intervention yeah almost like an intervention perfect do you have a like a specific example in any of the movies that show social responsibility besides the issues that he had with his aunt and uncle 
Um, the one thing that really pops out in my mind was, and I'm not sure which movie it's from, people out there listening, and, and you might know better than me, <laughs> but um, there was a time when um, Harry understood that he was not only a child who was going to a school, but that he had a responsibility to, in, in the movie, save the world, yep. save the wizarding world, and and it was an interesting uh, point of view for me to watch him take on that responsibility even at such a young age Um, and it was a very good thing that he had older wiser people around him uh, to help him focus that yeah that devotion to doing the right thing and I yeah go ahead no no, go ahead well because he he realized throughout the films that he was more than just a child yeah yeah. But not even that. Sorry to chime in. No, that's but okay. Even everybody around him, the fact that they felt that social responsibility because they could have said, whatever, Harry, it's up to you. You're on your own. Good yeah. luck. Right. The fact that they wanted to keep that community going yeah. and they wanted to help him in any way they could. Yeah. You know what I mean? To mm-hmm. accomplish what he was destined destined to accomplish. Because a lot of other people could have been like, uh eh. Yep. Not my problem. <laughs> and they definitely do that from the beginning. After his parents die, they bring him back to his family's house because there's a protection that keeps him safe from Voldemort, and that's what like essentially helps him beat him in the end is like his mother's love. And so if they wouldn't have brought him back to his family in the end, he never would have been able to like overcome his de- like what was bestowed upon him. And so I do think that it is important that we do look at all the people that were put into his path to help him, from his godfather to Dumbledore to you know all the teachers at the school, even Snape, who you said mm-hmm. is one of your favorite characters. One of my favorites. <laughs> he, yes, he hates Harry just because of that resentment he has for his father, but he is protecting him the whole entire time. Because of his social responsibility yeah. to his students. Making that choice, too. Yep. Right. Do you have social responsibility? Because it is a choice. Right. I can choose to turn a blind eye and yeah. not help. I don't really think he commits emotional intelligence very well because he's very mean <laughs> to, to Harry, but he does, like, take on that responsibility of protecting him because of the love that he had for his mother. That was well put. Yeah. That was well put. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's go ahead. I think we can actually look at one more. I want to talk about um, the commitment to nonviolence in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that some of the stuff in the movie is pretty violent, but I think that in the end that, you know, Harry and his friends make the choices to not kill people like Voldemort and his followers do. Um, they always use the Ava, Avada Kedavra curse that, is like, Kedavra. Yep, that yep. kills them immediately, but Harry and all the people that he works with work together to basically imprison them instead of killing them, which I think is a, a big thing when you're a child who has like revenge set out on your heart. Mm-hmm. And so he does commit to nonviolent by making sure that he does not um, do what has been done to others in his life. thinking about what you were saying and you know this uh, the commitment to nonviolence. it seems it ends uh, those in the the movie that were for the violence the the death eaters Voldemort the it it seemed a solution to a problem yeah but in what we do we we want to create long-lasting futures for people healthy happy futures and like Harry um, when he finally in the end received the Elder Wand. And we all looked at him and thought, he has the power now to do as he chooses. He instead chose to be part of a community rather than be a single person. And through being a community, they were able to grow into the future. He wasn't thinking singularly. He was thinking about generations to come, students yet to come to Hogwarts 
who need to learn, and he had to make the choice right then, do I choose me or do I choose everyone? And from my point of view, he made a very selfless act, and that would only help him and his friends in the future. I like that point because especially when you tie it into kind of what we do here, it ties into how, you know, it is a selfless act to go out and help parents and try to help people foster children and to help parents get their kids back and to help children work through trauma. Um, you know, it, it takes a heart of gold to do some of the sure. work that people and do. Through, and, and through education. Yeah, and can... to even be able to go through that as well, to like admit that you want to sit down and talk to someone about your trauma. That is a big step into healing. And I think that it's important that people commit to not not being nonviolent to themselves mm-hmm. in order to help themselves heal. Yeah, sometimes I, I, I think I would rather have somebody who is willing to listen to me rather than just somebody who knows how to fix me. Yeah. Empathy and, and you know, communication and listening, um, I think, is what our company is built upon. Yeah, perfect. Um, so now what we do at the end of every seven, uh, Sanctuary in the Seven Commitments, we look at the bizarro world oh. of a commitment. Um, and the bizarro world is just the opposite of commitments. So instead of being committed to uh, nonviolence, you would be committed to violence. Huh. Um, and so today we wow. want to talk about the commitment to emotional intelligence, which is the opposite of that is silence and secrecy. Um, and we really want to focus the silence and secrecy on the Order of the Phoenix specifically. Um, and that is the movie where Harry Potter is just kind of in like a really dark time. Um, and he is the only one that knows that Voldemort has come back. He saw Cedric Diggory die. No one believes him. And so he's kind of on his own. And so he um, like turns his anger towards other people and he just Mm -hmm. really spends a lot of time on his own and doesn't talk to other people. Um, And so we kind of want to talk about why that is a problem and then how he could have flipped that to make it a little bit better for himself. Yeah, throughout that movie, he uh, was really buying into the chosen one, the, the one who will defeat Voldemort in the end. He was really buying into that, that, you know, mystery or whatever whereas I saw he should have been he had the answers all around him the entire time he had people and lessons and wisdom and you know years of knowledge on how he could have handled the situation better but he felt he had to do it all on his own yeah and how did that work out for him yeah it didn't work out very well and I I definitely think that's a good example to look at because when you have the world against you and you choose to like let them say what's like let them dictate what they're saying about you instead of fighting for what you believe in he spent a lot of time just like letting the secrets go through letting people talk about him and he didn't like advocate for himself or those no, around he him. internalized it and yep. internalized it till he eventually just yeah and didn't know. even like turn to his friends for help at all instead of being emotionally intelligent realizing his feelings realizing the feelings of those around him and being able to use them as that community right right at that point in the movie his lack of emotional intelligence led him to not asking for help, not asking, you know, is it okay for me to be afraid? Is it okay for me to be in fear? And I think if he had done that from the beginning of the movie, it would have been a completely different movie. I think so, too. I definitely think that Sirius wouldn't have died. And I think that it's really important. I really like how you phrase that question, is it okay to be afraid? I, I think that a lot of the times in society we are we don't feel like we can be afraid or scared of something, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to admitting our feelings. And so it's important to be able to talk about how we're feeling and talk about the fears that we have surrounding things. And that is where self comes in and is important right. to use because you right. can staff everything that you're feeling and any losses that are tied to that and how you learn how to move forward mm-hmm. with and you have the community to help you rather right. than just being on your own. It's I find it 
I find it sometimes difficult to be that open and vulnerable with people outside of Hope uh, Children's Services. Yeah. I, um, and it's a nice feeling to be able to open up and communicate. Just like Harry at the end when he was finally able to explain everything that happened in a calm manner. Yeah. A lot of families that I, that I see and that we work with, they have difficult times in opening themselves and explaining how they feel. And so for us to be, you know, big advocates of emotional intelligence, uh, we're kind of like teachers in a, in a way. Yeah. Where we help our families to, to be more open and honest with who they are. Yep. And to teach them that having emotions is okay and making mistakes thing. is okay. And, you know, it's how you learn and go forward from there. I think that that's, like, important that you share that message and that you recognize that you're there to help clients. Oh, yeah. Uh, on and off the clock. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of my great pleasures of just being a regular person when I'm not working is I see a lot of the sanctuary trainings that we learn here um, overflowing into my personal life. Yeah. Talking to my wife, talking to my family or my neighbors. I find my, my language different. Yeah. I find me thinking not what's, what's wrong with my neighbor that he's being so loud. I'm thinking, what happened with my neighbor that he feels the need to be loud today? And then when I go up and ask him, it turns out, well, there's a good reason for it. Yeah. So it's a so that turns me from angry neighbor into um, helpful neighbor. Yeah, and that's that is the the goal of sanctuary is to be able to use that across all disciplines in your life, to use it at work, to use it at home, to use it when you're at the grocery store, oh. and to be able to recognize that you know we do commit to these things for a reason, and the seven commitments really help to shape our life and to help us think about how we're viewing the world so that we're not that bitter neighbor or that like angry worker who quits because we don't feel like we're supported. Mm. Boy, I wish Hogwarts had a sanctuary <laughs> class. You would be a fantastic teacher. <laughs> You're awesome. <laughs> Is there anything else you think we should cover today or, or do you feel like we hit? There are so many things I would love to cover, but I want to thank you for having me on today. Of course. I I'm really so enjoyed glad myself. that you came back on. We would love to have you again because you make this fun. Oh, definitely. All right. Well, thank you guys for being here and we will do another pop culture for the next um, month. Thanks. See you next time. Let's talk about self, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about self. All right, let's talk about self. Uh, I am Michelle. I'm filling in for Jessica Brimhall today. Um, we're going to talk about self and how we can use this tool um, to problem solve. I'm here talking with Jennifer. Jennifer, um, do you have a challenge that you are experiencing or an example of a challenge that you could share with us today? I do. So my soon-to-be 11-year-old has a few diagnoses, and we just got a new one um, of a sensory processing disorder. Um, and so he has a lot of problems with um, textures and things that touches him and things that he touches, um, things that he eats, stuff like that. Okay. Um so let's go ahead and use the self model and how we can use this model to problem solve with some of these issues. Um, do you want to start, where do you want to start in the model? There's safety, emotions, loss, or future? 
So we can start at the top, safety. Okay. Um, so there's a few issues. One is his safety of him overheating. He has to have nothing to, like, his skin can't be exposed to anything. Um, he doesn't like it. He doesn't like the air touching his skin. So he wears sweatpants, sweatshirts, jackets all year long, um, which can be an issue for him. Okay. Um, as well as um, he's not getting a proper nutrition if he can't eat certain foods. Um, stuff like that. So those are the safety issues that we have currently. Okay. And then if you want to just go down the list, emotions, what are some emotions involved with this issue? For him or for me? Um, both. Okay. So let's start with him. So for him, um, he is constantly irritated. Um, he has mood swings. He, um, he feels like he can't control anything. Um, he feels like he, um, can't figure out what's wrong with him he always feels like there's something wrong with him and he can't express what it is and then for me um I feel um confused um frustrated um overwhelmed a little bit because there's multiple diagnoses that go along with this yeah so there's a lot of stuff going on um, as well as, you know, my husband is in the same uh, realm as me where we can't figure out what to do. So we feel lost. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a lot of that. Okay. Um, and then the losses. Um, so the loss is Cameron having a normal future um, of, you know, wearing clothes that normally people would wear. Um, he also has to wear a uniform for school. So that tends to be a problem. Um, we have to find certain um, clothing that will fit his criteria that is meant to be a uniform. <laughs> and um, we obviously have a loss of a normal childhood for him. Um, he can't participate in certain things. He is not getting proper nutrition, stuff like that. So we'd have to manage all of that. And knowing... Um these losses um, and emotions and safety issues, how are you looking towards the future? So we're looking into finding the right clothing that will fit him first. That's the first thing that we need to do. Um, and then also processing how it feels with him um, when air touches his skin because he can't wear um, pants and sweatshirts all year long. So he's going to have to process what that feels like and how he can make it feel differently. Um, or finding the right clothing that will help him um, so that it feels different. And then, you know, making sure that we constantly go see a doctor all the time to make sure that he's staying on track with his nutrition and that his, um, his you know, health-wise, he's okay. Um, so that's part of consistent future things that we would have to do all the time. All right. All right, well, that's just one example of how you can take um, an issue or multiple issues and use the self model to talk yourself through it um, using safety, emotions, loss, and future. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to our second ever podcast. We hope you enjoyed and that you learned something. And if you have any questions or comments, we really want to hear from you guys. And it looks like um, a lot of the platforms that play our podcast have a messaging capability. I am not an expert by any means, but I would like to figure out how to use it. So if you see that, um, leave us a little message. We want to incorporate all of you into the podcast and 
answer any questions you have or address any topics that you maybe want more information on. So try to use it and let's, yeah, let's see if we can get it to work. Thanks. Bye. Bye.